Internet. Mike and Andy here. Second week of the president-elect Donald Trump's president-elected season before he's president. We are here from the uh, World Vox headquarters in Brea, California. And um, we are here post-Spartan workout. Andy and I and several of us are training for a Spartan race. And um, if you can imagine uh, uh, a man with the complexion and uh, body type of an Olive Garden breadstick um, going out and doing um, squats and benches and ropes. I just look at the ropes um and uh and all sorts of crazy exercises it is it is it is awful yeah it is absolutely awful you know, so you're starting to look a bit more like some challah bread though oh, you know you're starting to get oh a little boy. a little oh tone oh a little bit of you right. know another right it's not just all round and doughy <laughs> um so so for a little rambly today we're just we're we're dehydrated we're uh, exhausted. We we I, I would say between the two of us, we probably lifted uh, in the neighborhood of a ton today, just uh, hmm. in all of our reps. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. I, I sincerely doubt it. <laughs> so so we've got a couple of things, a couple of uh, pieces of news. First, um, we want to give a shout out to the Bros Bible and Beer podcast in uh, South Orange County, uh, who hosted uh, Mike and Andy last night at their place. Um, so, so they'll have an episode just kind of interviewing us. And, uh, I have to say, I think, um, I think that, uh, that'll be their best podcast ever. I'm just not going to lie about that. Yep. And then, um, and then, and then secondly, Andy has been hard at work on, uh, getting our Patreon page, uh, up now. So the podcast world is totally new to me. Andy, um, Andy's been into it far longer. And, and one of the things uh, podcasts will often do is uh, they will um, have Patreon accounts. And Patreon, I'd never even heard of it. It's obviously related to the word patron. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the, in, uh, in, uh, former days, uh, a patron would be somebody who would financially support a work of art or an artist or a whatever. And so Patreon is a way for people. It's like Kickstarter, but it's, it's, it's for people to ongoing, it's for ongoing projects. Yeah. So it's like monthly support for something. Right. And, uh, but it has like, like Kickstarter does, it has rewards attached to levels of support. So, so Andy, we felt like we did it a year. We always want to keep this free. But we've been we've been exploring some other options. So like um, we did an event, a live recording uh, several episodes ago that cost us, I don't know, maybe 500 bucks. Yeah. Um, uh, the number of books I buy and, and resources I'm accumulating, you know, uh, I don't know how much money that is. Um, but we felt like because we kept hearing from people that people would be willing to support us. And, um, and, and certainly because we've got a, a, a little church in North OC, this isn't a, we're not looking for livelihood, but it is helpful to, um, to offset some of the expenses right now that we're just swallowing in terms of equipment, in terms of li- we want to do some more live shows. Uh, we want to be, we have a little better tech in order to, uh, interview people across the country mm, yeah. or in other parts of the world. Um, and I want to have, uh, I want to have a bit, uh, to be able to buy, um, some resources just for my own uh, study and benefit. So, so, so we we fired this sucker up, and uh, and man, there's uh, utterly and forever no obligation. We just want to let people know about it. So we're going to talk about it a little more than we will normally. Um, but I, I just want to make fun of it a little bit because there are some awards at various levels of uh, of donation. So right now. We have five patrons, and I've never had a patron before, and so I feel really good. And and those five patrons um, have graciously 
uh, supported us for $144 a month, which is absolutely ridiculous. Wonderful. That is incredible. So, um, so here, the, here, the, there are three levels. And these are funny. This is the, so this is the genius of Andy Bear. Um, so the fan level is uh, it's $5 a month. And, um, you know, if you feel like uh, a, a podcast is, is worth a buck, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the level you know, yeah. you're at. It's like, yeah, this is okay. So this is like, it's like giving Christina Aguilera 99 cents for one of her songs. Yeah, there you go. You know, I mean, just, well, okay. Yeah, uh, or if uh, she had a new song every single week, would you pay a dollar for it? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, I'm glad she does not. Um, <laughs> uh, but here's what you receive, all right? You receive... A gift from the Vox podcast in the mail. Now, this is the only gift that was my idea. And it is the dumbest, most ridiculous thing in the history of the planet. It is just, it is dumb. But it 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 really captures the essence of the Vox podcast. So this was my only input on the gift levels. <laughs> um, was everyone's got to get this thing if they're dumb enough to support it. So right. It's a tiny living unicorn. Oh, I wish. <laughs> um, you also get an audio message from Mike. So uh, unlike this, you get a specific audio message um, that just says thank you. So you could you could say uh, you could take this as your audio message, but you'll get a you'll get a specific one. Yep. Um, you get access to a Vox Community Group uh, podcast on Facebook. Now, tell us, Andy, what's what's your vision for that? Um, well, we because I have a public page. Yeah, you have and a we pub- have a pub Vox public. I have a personal page that's right. a, that's maxing out at five thousand right. friends. We have a podcast page. Right. Um, this is a separate thing. Yeah, it's a separate thing. So it, this is basically a closed group that is only for uh, Patreon members. Um, and our hope is that it's a way that we can interact with you guys, um, extending uh, the discussions that we're having um, week to week. So while sure, some folks kind of comment on what we'll post, um, but the whole on a public space, it just creates so much noise Crazy, and yeah. it's, it's hard to filter. It's hard to get through. And sometimes people just get in there, comment like crazy out of some public you know, window and it doesn't it doesn't generate healthy direction towards conversation. So this is a place that we can kind of moderate more uh, specific discussions. We'll throw some stuff up there that's specific, like, hey, this week, um, well, let's throw this out there. Give me guys thoughts on this and we'll we'll kind of talk about those things. Yeah, We, and, we want this to be a more targeted because yeah. what, what I find is like if I post something about about Trump um, or or politics, you know the the thing just blows up and it gets awful and nasty yeah. and it's just ridiculous. So we would want, I would love more specific feedback about the podcast, yeah. about topics, about you know whatever. Right. So this would, I I think this I think Andy Bear had a great idea. Um. So that's that's five bucks a month, twenty five dollars a month, um, which you call the friend level. Mm-hmm. So the fan level is five. Yeah. Or I could have called it second base. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Oh, <laughs> or the friend mercy. zone. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, so 25, which is the middle level, mm-hmm. um, you get a special gift, a special audio message from from me, which um, I hope will cure in the insomnia that many of you struggle with. Um, access to this community group, um, and then you start adding some goodies. Right. So some goodies are. Um, we sold out of our live event, so you would get early access is mm-hmm. the idea. Um, you get your choice of uh, one free hard copy that we'll mail to you of one of my books. I have five that are out there. And um, if you are sick enough to have all five, then um, we really need to pay for your therapy. <laughs> but if you don't have them, you get to pick one. Yep. 
Um, I'm also going to start doing eBooks. I'm not going to do traditional publishing uh, as much anymore. And um, so we want to start, uh, my goal is to, to put out a couple of eBooks next year and you would get uh, one of those for free. And, um, and here's the big one. The big one is we're going to start a new podcast. And, um, and so right now we've got two currently in the, under the Vox umbrella. One is the church, um, which is uh, the Vox Community Podcast. Uh, and then there's this one. This one is more cultural, real time. Um, how do we be Jesus people in public spaces? And, and, and we have loads of listeners from all, all sorts of non-Christian backgrounds, which right. we love. Um, the, the church podcast is more of, Hey, here's a Jesus centered teaching. Here's a story from someone in our community. Um, and we're just going to keep it very Jesus focused out of the gospels. This podcast, we're going to start, um, we're going to start looking at some of the neglected books of the Bibles. We're going to start with the book of revelation and that's going to be chunk by chunk through the whole book. And um, that's where, you know, buying a bunch of resources and doing a bunch of study and all of those sorts of things come in. So um, we, for the $25 one, um, you get access to that. Right. So, you, so that's the big, that's the big thing Yeah, is um, we're going to launch a podcast that's more of a verse by verse, chunk by chunk, sort of classic Bible study, but we're going to do it around books that aren't normally sort of considered. Yeah. And, um, and then we'll do special kind of one-off podcasts that'll just be for this group. And, 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 and it feels, you know, it, I'm always conflicted by this stuff. Um, but this is very, very common in the podcast world to have levels of kind of participation in the community. Yeah. And, uh, it's ways of identifying okay, who's the, who's the core tribe, you know, in this thing. So, um, so, so that's $25. Anything you want to add? I mean, that's a, so you get a hard you get a hard copy mm-hmm. of a book, you get a free ebook, and then you get this uh, this other podcast that we're going to be doing. Yep, absolutely. Okay, yeah, and and like the, specifically, I mean, that amount of money really helps to push us forward to really develop live events and think about like you know how how do we really get ahead on some of that stuff and, and make some really yes. fun you know public and, and physical gatherings. So yeah, we had um, so the live event the the one piece of feedback we got that was universal was when are we doing this again? Yeah, so we want to do. I don't know, four or five or six live events um, in uh, 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got some uh, some thoughts on that. So again, uh, this is not a pitch. Please don't hear it. We're not going to talk like this, you know, on our podcast regularly. I just wanted to make fun of this. Um, uh, Andy's put a lot of work into it. And I mean, and of course, it would be hugely helpful. So I don't want to pretend like it's not. It's just I... I'm the worst at marketing. Yeah. Just, uh, I am the worst. Right. Um, but we want to let people know it's there. Um, and then, and then there's a $50 and we have three people who've already done that, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so, so this is the family level and it includes, um, everything from the first two. Um, and then it's all, all the books, uh, that I have. If you, any of those that you want, however many copies you want, you, they're yours, um, signed or not. Um, uh, uh, all future eBooks for free. Um, obviously, this future, co- this future, um, this podcast uh, is included in that. And then um, we want you to have kind of a direct line into the strategic planning of the future of Vox. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's a special sort of uh, email. Uh, that we're going to give out to those folks that um, and, and a and a list that we'll have that will the folks that that are on that will get sort of um, 
uh, entrance into, hey, here's 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 an idea we have. What do you guys think? Right. Um, here's a topic we're considering. What are your thoughts? Right. So an, it's a, it's an extension of the Facebook page, but more kind of more intense. Right. Right. It kind of it kind of becomes a board that you're paying to be on. You know, right. you kind of get to advise into some things and hear from us really directly about it and yep. um, and that kind of thing. And and what this all comes down to is that. Um, I think, you know, we just met a lot of folks and even through Vox community where it, people want to turn just listening into some kind of active life and some kind of like, what do I do with this? Like, what do I take away with this? And so the more folks that that jump in on this, you're actually creating things that you can then actually do versus just having a podcast right. that you listen to every week. Right. So it, it gives us really some capital to really give you guys actually more. So it really, it's, it's direct turnaround just for you. It's not so we just, you know, just up our equipment and the quality is a little bit better every week. It's right. like, that's, that's part of it. But, and, and so we can get better guests, but furthermore, I think what we're most excited about is getting out in the community and, and being in public spaces and, and getting a chance yes. to, to gather in, in yes. some neat ways. So, so, so many of you have supported us in the past it is remarkable. Please feel no pressure. Seriously, you guys, this we would never have considered being in this space a year ago. So thank you. Thank you, Andy, for setting all that up. Welcome. Um, uh, last word, how do you find it? Yep. Um, so you could either go to voxpodcast.com slash contribute or patreon.com slash voxpodcast. There you go. Yep. All right. Now, we've got, uh, we've got some stuff to talk about, Andy. I don't know if you've been paying attention. Uh, it's almost Christmas time, so mm-hmm. so the eerie. It's uh, what is it, November seventeenth, mm-hmm. and uh, the Christmas decorations are up. All they they will be finished tonight. Um, so I take a strong political stance on uh, the holiday season includes Thanksgiving and Christmas together. It's not separate things. It's all one thing. Um, and I know people disagree. It's it's a it's a hot topic. Um, we also have you know this this interesting now cultural reflection. Uh, on uh, on the election, and um, we've got you know um, instances where um, hate crimes have been um, you know against churches, against people. We've got we've got videos of, uh, and 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 it's not just uh, like online. I've got friends who are saying there are things that have been said to them and done to them, kind of in the name of. Uh, Trump and uh, not at all saying Trump all Trump supporters are like this of course not and um, but but it's interesting that these and, and there have been a few that have been debunked um, you know that were totally fake um, but but there there is a kind of a um, public awareness now of some of this yeah. stuff um, and some of it's really ugly some of it's really ugly. I mean that that sort of racism of course and sexism has always existed uh, but it, but it seems like it's been given a new kind of permission yeah. by some of the rhetoric that Trump uh-huh. used in his campaign. And, um, you know, him just simply saying stop it, you know, just isn't that, that's not, you know, <laughs> I don't know that that's really going to cut it. I'm not sure. I can't think of a time that any president just said <laughs> stop it. And that and that worked. Um, and then you have, of course, the conservatives um, who voted for Trump looking at all these protests saying, you know, hey, guys. Um, d- denial ain't just a river in Egypt, baby. Um, you know, <laughs> democracy works. You didn't hear us rioting and see us rioting when and protesting when we had eight years of Obama. Yeah. And uh, so, hey, millennials, why don't you freaking grow up? Most of you didn't even vote. So shut your yaps. Quit using this as an excuse to get out of school and uh, suck it up because this is how democracy works. So, so you have this, 
you know, on top of just the feelings that people are having, now you have this dialogue about, um, well, hey, uh, why, uh, the, these, this, these expressions of hate and bigotry and racism are now being done. And then you've got these protests and, and, you know, what are those for and what are they about? And so the cultural conversation continues. Now, last uh, episode, uh, the day after election, we talked about what it is to be a peacemaker. And that was, that was to me more than to anybody else, but it raised um, some very good questions. And in fact, um, at, our, at, our, uh, at our little church service on Sunday, um, we took a moment to take seriously the command that Jesus gives to pray uh, for our enemies, to bless our enemies, and to pray for those who persecute us. And so it was funny because you're sitting there in a room and some people that I'm talking to are just exultant that God has delivered us and saved us from Hillary. Um, and, and some people are like, God has abandoned us yeah. and has given us Trump. Um, and, and both kinds of people are welcome at the table. Um, and so, so it was funny to invite, invite our community to pray for our enemy, the heaviness yeah. that, that, be, that was in that room that there were like, there were people weeping, um, to, to, uh, to, to try to get to the place where we could actually do that, whether it was Trump supporters praying for Hillary or the protesters, or it was Hillary supporters praying for Trump, you know, and God's favor on him. It, it's so fascinating how deep um, these issues are and um, the pain that they're causing. So we wanted to have a, a bit of a part two. And this is, this is a little more heady, I think, than the last one, uh, because a buddy of mine on Twitter um, he, he, uh, he hit me up and I, I've seen a couple of articles. So I want to, I want to set the table by, by kind of selectively quoting from one article. Um, and it was on the title of the article was hopeful and relieved conservative white evangelicals see Trump's win as their own. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, um, and, and I have dear friends and family who are diehard Trump supporters who are thrilled and who think I am anti-Trump. Um, I'm not anti-Trump. I'm anti-narrative that says Christians support Trump because they're Christians. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm anti. I'm not anti-Trump, although I I would not have voted for him, um, or nor would I have voted for Hillary. Um, uh, I'm not anti-Trump. I'm anti the 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 narrative that says this is the evangelicals doing. That's the part that super concerns me. And so yeah. some of these quotes I want to pull out and just talk about a little bit. Um, even if you're a Trump supporter, because uh, I want to ask the question, if you if you were a non-follower of Jesus and you read this article, what, you know, let's say you're a Muslim, let's say you're overseas, what's what are you thinking now? Yeah. So let me just selectively quote some of this stuff. And, and, and it's from Julie Zosmer uh, on November 15th. Um, and... Um, uh, she she tells the story of um, a specific church and their it's kind of outside the beltway, a specific church and their journey um, from a lot of people being secret Trump supporters, um, not willing to share they were supporting Trump for fear of, you know, what they would be called mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then voting for him and then seeing the election come back the way that it did. So she's she's interviewing people in this church on the night after the election. This is her. Um, She says, uh, during the eight years of the Obama administration, uh, white evangelical Christians who make up one quarter of the U.S. population 
um, felt that culture was moving away from them. They watched gay marriage become the law of the land. Christians came under fire for saying they didn't want to provide pizzas, cakes, photographs for those weddings. They heard college students demand safe spaces and trigger warnings. They heard Black Lives Matter and didn't understand when they were demonized for responding that all lives matter. Their president disparaged people like them who, quote, cling to guns or religion and then said that religious employers should subsidize their workers' birth control and anyone should use any bathroom they like. And then on Wednesday, the day after the election, evangelicals woke up remembering what it's like to feel victorious again in American politics. Um, uh, Hartford Seminary professor Scott Thuma uh, says uh, there, evangelicals' deepest desires may be enacted into laws or hated laws repealed now. Their prayers were answered by electing a rude, crude, and morally unacceptable nonbeliever. Um he says, uh, I've interacted with a few evangelicals since the election, and every one of them uh, were proud and happy to have played a part in Trump's election, not exactly because of who he is, but of what he stood for. To be sure, uh, white evangelical supporters knew Trump was an odd champion. He's self-declared Presbyterian, but never a churchgoer, thrice married with a history of boasting about his infidelity, and has leveled insults from uh, at everyone from a beauty queen to a disabled reporter to the Pope. Mm-hmm. Exit polls showed that 49% of Trump's voters said they had reservations about him, um, but they still voted for him. And whenever they spoke in church about Trump, they did to, they always did with caveats. Um, uh, so, so this reporter begins to interview um, people in this in this specific church, and uh, so I'm picking up the article a little later. On the opposite couch, Rob Cole nodded. My sister. I just wanted to unfriend her on Facebook today because she's a diehard Democrat. Um, uh, Cole uh, uh, told Rizvald, somebody else who was being interviewed, who worked in a military intelligence agency before leaving the service at 29, about a video he watched online in which a Christian speaker abroad hailed Trump's victory. And then um, Cole said, it really makes you feel great to be a Christian, he said. Hmm. Um uh, there's been a big attack on our Christian faith. I think Christians took a big stand this time and said, we're going to stand up for our faith. Um, so I, I find that just, I find that very interesting that a victory for Trump is a victory for our faith. Um, and, uh, and, and, or, or some would say a victory for Hillary would have been a victory for our faith. Mm-hmm. And I just want to point out, uh, the absurdity of saying a victory for either one of these was a victory for the Christian faith. Yeah. Right. That the Christian faith exists regardless, in spite of, in opposition to any, the best or the worst political parties can come up with. Yeah. Right. It is not the kind of thing that requires the validation of any political party or person ever, ever. And so I just, you know, I'm like, oh my goodness. So, so now Christians have stood up for their faith and we did it at the polls. We didn't do it by how we live. We didn't do it by being known for our love. We didn't do it by being known for our outlandish generosity or hospitality or countercultural friendship. We did it because, damn it, we're sick of being pushed around by these liberals. Yeah. Right? And you're like, ah, really? And, and again, I mean, the narrative would be the same on the Hillary side, right? It's not just an anti-Trump thing. It's anybody saying on the Hillary side, fantastic. It feels great to be a Christian. Right, I mean, yeah. we're we. The the point is, we've gotten we've gotten the Jesus thing so wrapped up in the American thing 
that regardless of who won the election, some were going to be exultant that God had won and some were going to be bummed because now God's plan was in jeopardy. And we just want to say, no, no, hallelujah, be involved. We've said this a thousand times. Politics in, in its very nature is not a bad thing. It's become that. But be political, be opinionated. But good Lord, our hope doesn't rest on this stuff. Yeah. And and um, and so just this, uh, just this. Um, uh, we took a stand this time, and 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 this this is kind of what the stand looked like. I just go, oh my goodness, it, it is true that um, white evangelicals feel marginalized. They feel um, they feel looked down upon. They feel mocked. I think that is a true statement, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think there's something behind that that folks who are not white or evangelical can't ignore, and it has been ignored. And and this is what you get when it's ignored, right? Mm -hmm. You can't just alienate an entire and a huge segment of the U.S. population and not expect there to be some sort of consequence for that, right? Yeah. So. Um, so, so again, just picking up the article, um, white, so this is the author, white evangelicals were so key for Trump that had no white evangelicals voted, Clinton would have won in a landslide 59% to 35%. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so, so whatever you're, whatever you say about the election, um, the narrative will be evangelicals put Trump in office. Yep. Okay. Um, uh, so this is, uh, this is another person being interviewed. I've got real concerns with him as an individual, but that said, I still have to look at the bigger picture for him. That bigger picture includes Trump's choice for his running mate, Mike Pence, who is an evangelical Catholic. Um, it also includes Trump's pledge to appoint Supreme court justices who will overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, the pastor preached, uh, Wednesday night. Uh, so the night after the election, the pastor's preaching to this church. Mm -hmm about the culture that has bewildered and infuriated evangelicals during the Obama years. There's gender confusion. There's sexual identity confusion. People are inventing words now, he said in his teaching. Mentioning the pop star Miley Cyrus, he continued, she used the word pansexual. What do all these words mean? The problem, he said, is that public morality seems to have become a matter of personal choice rather than biblical dictates. You know... The reason why there's such confusion in our culture today, without a common fixed reference point, then there's confusion. Nobody seems to know what's right, what's wrong, what's up, what's down. Many churchgoers echoed the idea and said that Trump seemed to support the sort of Bible-based morality they craved, which they imagined was standard in the bygone America he offers to bring back. Mm -hmm. Now, think about think about the assumptions embedded in this. Yeah. Okay, first of all... Um, uh, Public morality. So people are following their own consciences rather than biblical dictates. Shocking. Non-Christians are not following the Bible. Newsflash. Non-Christians are not following the Bible. I am shocked. I am shocked. That's why there's so much confusion today, doggone it. If those non-Christians would just, if we could enact laws that force people to act in ways the Bible says are appropriate to human flourishing, we'd all be better off, damn it. And you just go... Really? That's the job of the church. Yeah. The job of the church is to force morality. Now, I believe there are laws and there are policies that promote flourishing over other laws and policies. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And we should vote uh, our consciences for the policies and, um, and the programs that best promote human flourishing. No question about it. But you see the wedding here again 
of Jesus following and pu- public. Um, so, so we're upset because non-Christians aren't behaving according to biblical standards. Yeah. So, so, so what's our answer? So the answer here is, well, we just need it. We need somebody to enact, right? Biblical laws. Right. And, and okay, that's fine. But I mean, so let's say we do away with Roe v. Wade. You think the culture war is over? What what do you think is going to happen? Do you think abortions are just going to go away? I mean, what? So we put prayer back in schools. Awesome. See, this is what's so crazy. Jesus didn't fight these battles. Yeah. He worried. Yes, of course, we worry about systemic evil. I'm not saying we don't. I'm saying what Jesus inaugurated was a revolution of the heart that led to a revolution of the external world, right? So it was as people become aligned with his movement, his kingdom, as as his spirit becomes alive in them, they pass from death to life. They become the kind of people now who don't need to force public policy on people because the witness of their life, the testimony of their life and the life of their community is so compelling that people naturally would want to be part of something like that. That's how the Christians were subversive in the earliest Mm. centuries. They weren't subversive because they were forcing morality on people. They were subversive because their quality of life was so much better than the alternatives offered by their society that people simply could not help. We've, we have records of Roman governors um, who would be complaining that the Christians take care of the Roman poor and the religions of Rome don't, don't even do a great job with it. I mean, it, it's just, to me, it's striking. And again, it's not a Trump thing. It's not a Hillary thing. It, this is a problem in the church. This is, this is, who cares who the church is fixated on? The fact that the church is fixated on something other than Jesus is the problem. Am yeah. I preaching yet? See, that's Someone the point. Someone is preaching. That's the point. It's not Trump or Hillary, man. It's the fact that this whole thing has shown what our core fears are, where our core allegiances lie, and where our core hope is, right? And it's not in the the subversive mustard seed, tiny bit of faith that takes over the whole batch kind of thing. It's nope, we would much rather roll back America to the way it used to be. But yeah. then you're sitting in the lie of how a great uh, how great America used to be. Really? So when was America great? When women couldn't vote, when blacks and whites had to use separate restrooms, when we were robbing um, Native Americans from their land, when was America great? When we were when we were slave owners? Yeah. I mean, when exactly was Christian America? Christian America, right? You could argue there was a thin civil ven- uh, religion veneer over society that's gone completely now, and it's totally mass and chaotic. That's true. The Christian veneer's gone. But was the Christian veneer what Jesus has been interested in the whole time? Of course not. It was the freaking hearts of real people that he was interested in. Yeah. So people could hide behind the Christian veneer. Now you can't do that. Now you're actually confronted with the Miley Cyruses of the world who are who are inventing categories of identity um, and sexuality, right? So what do we do? What do we do? We vote into a candidate who's going to roll us back to how it used to be. Really? Really? You're not going to do jack squat. That is not the point or the issue. Man. All right. Now. Oh, slow clap. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, so, so I don't know. So I, I, um, 
hopefully the pastor says, now we can see some progress for some evangelical causes in our country. I feel like we actually have an advocate in the White House now. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> All right. And again, I mean, I don't want to minimize the power of having good Jesus people and political and the good they can do. Yeah. But when the church becomes preoccupied preoccupied with advancing evangelical causes in a pluralistic democracy, we have missed the plot entirely. So I'm pro-life and, and pro-life for me means anti-war and anti-gun and uh, pro-immigration and, uh, and, and uh, anti-euthanasia and, um, and uh, pro doing everything possible uh, to bring every child conceived to term. Um, I'm, I'm pro all of those things, but by, but the meter of my cultural impact isn't on whether or not those laws are enacted. The meter for me of cultural impact is defined entirely in a different realm, right? Which is namely, um, how well I reflect the beauty and glory of Jesus of Nazareth as I'm supposedly transformed more and more into what he's like. Right. And as that happens, um, now, now again, see, see, some people, and, and and I can even hear the, I can even hear the objection. Some people are going to say, no, no, it's not just a bottom up thing; it's also a top down thing. Like, the the way liberals have won is because they they were they were in positions of influence in the media and Hollywood, um, in uh, the academy, and so on. And and one of the things we do to give the gospel a hearing is that we um, we are for for laws that promote religious freedom absolutely we're we're for a society that takes care of its poor absolutely um, so so I'm all for that and I'm all I mean I've got dear friends who are in a political office and they're amazing and they do such good I'm not minimizing that I'm talking about what the church focuses on and what's the what what the church celebrates and laments the day after an election yeah right yep so that's where I'm that's where I'm I get fired up is yeah I, I was shocked I I did not in my wildest dreams think that uh, Donald Trump would win um and uh and and so you know I'm hearing from tons of people who are just we're afraid. I mean, we're, we don't know what to do and, and, and it's genuine. And, and I'm hearing from other, um, of, of my friends who were thrilled that we're, we're going to fill Scalia's post in the Supreme court. And do I think, would I prefer someone who's like a constitutionalist in that spot? Of course I would. Absolutely. Yeah. But what's the, that doesn't consume my energy, right? I, right? I vote, I do my thing, but like we've talked about, how we're living on the ninth is more important than how you vote on the eighth. Yeah. So, so I, I just thought that was an interesting. So my question is: Suppose you're not a Jesus follower and you read that article. Oh yeah. How can you not come to the conclusion that to be a Jesus follower means that you endorse Trump and all that he stands for? Yeah. And I just want to say that is such a dangerous game to play if people are turned away from jesus because of our support of trump then hell with trump right i mean that's that's the priority yep that's the priority my my goodness and and which would be the case if it was any president i mean that's the point it's hillary yeah but if 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 people were turned away from jesus because of my support of hillary then i'm wrong too right so see that ah so my buddy tweets me and uh and uh, he's uh he's sympathetic to the protests and so he says this because we did this um 
we did this uh, peacemaking podcast. He says, as, peep, as peacemakers, when and how should we speak out against injustice when we still see it, though? Hoping, he says, I'm hoping for more podcast discussion in this area. Here you go. Uh, still feeling so disoriented by the election, grieving. My fear is that to keep peace and create unity, we start turning a blind eye to things that we ought to stand against. Trump was voted in to blow up the system. There will be victims of such an explosion. How do I stand with those without a voice? What a wonderful question. Yep. I love it. So, so Ethan, well done, my friend. He lives in Nashville, Tennessee. He is a musician. He is incredible, Ethan Hulse. Um, and I love this question. And so, so I, I began to respond on Twitter and realized, oh my goodness, this is a this is like a huge conversation. Um, but so, so in answer, E, what I would say is there's a difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. So peacekeeping um, often is the avoidance of conflict, right? So if somebody's keeping the peace, they're often they're often going between two parties trying to placate each. Um, and they're, and they're, you know, or avoiding conflict or just pretending it's not a big deal, right? Peace, peacekeeping is like, that's a much, that's a, to me, uh, that is, that is, that sometimes just requires conflict avoidance. Yeah. Peacemaking is the dirty business of forging peace out of conflict. So you have to run into conflict in order to be a peacemaker. So that's the difference. Peacekeeping, I think, sometimes avoids it. Peacemaking goes, you just go diving in. Because even when we talked about what it is to forgive, peacemaking is the same thing. The name, the injustice, the the um, the evil, the oppression, it has to be named and felt publicly uh, before it can be moved on. Right? You have to, you have to go into the conflict as a peacemaker. Mm-hmm. But, and here is the but... To do so in a way that invites dialogue and holds on to the possibility of redemption for the oppressor. That was the genius of Jesus. And so when you look at Martin Luther King or Gandhi, what they were able to do was bring peace, not by avoiding conflict, but by how they handled themselves in it. Yeah. And they and they yeah. did not return evil for evil. Uh, they returned good for evil. I mean, un- unbelievable. And and so much of this is straight from the lips of Jesus, right? Um, this is the ethic of the Jesus movement, this sort of thing. The only model we have for civil disobedience is martyrdom. Hmm. Just just think about that. That that's the model <laughs> yeah. we have for civil disobedience, right? Is that people were martyred for refusing to compromise on the conviction that Jesus was Lord. Mm-hmm. So so civil disobedience, okay. If that involves um, standing with the marginalized, not breaking civil laws unless those laws demand that we compromise our allegiance to Jesus. It demands uh, respect for the oppressor or those who are committing the injustice in the hope that they themselves may be able to find redemption. That is peacemaking, and that is bloody and dirty and hard work. Now, I love this. This is a this is a quote from uh, somebody. He says, um, "Making peace is not peaceful work." <laughs> Which is so true. So true. It's so true. Yeah. Um, it's toil-filled, bloody your knuckles work as swords are bleat, bleat, as swords are beat into plowshares. It's thankless work, bringing enemies, zealots and tax collectors, right? These were in Jesus's movement, mm-hmm. elites and deplorables to the same table to break bread. It's a work that I fear will cost me everything. 
Peace doesn't come without cost. Um, Jesus showed us that the mediator pays the cost of reconciliation. The one who stands in the middle, hears the laments, pains, sins, frustrations, hopes, and needs of both sides, and says, come to the Lord's table is the one who pays the debt. And he says, and he goes on, and let me just, I know it's a lot of reading, but this stuff is so good, and I want to make sure I honor the source. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a big debate about who should be reconciled to who now. Some say that the losers need to get with the program and accept the new reality. In essence, reconciliation will happen when they come to the winner's table. Others say that the winners need to offer a peace offering by showing up at the table of the losers. Neither neither will work, not in this context. Truth is, the oppressed are always expected to travel further to the table of reconciliation. What makes our current context so difficult is that, according to what I'm hearing, both sides feel oppressed by the other. Mm. So the white evangelical side feels oppressed. Uh, The poor white um, rural families feel oppressed. No one's speaking for them, right? They hear about white privilege and they're, they're, they're sitting in, you know, deplorable conditions and mm-hmm. they're not seeing white privilege, right? Safe spaces, trigger warnings. What are you talking about? They can hardly feed their families. Yeah. Um, so they feel oppressed. White evangelicals feel oppressed for the way culture has pushed and marginalized them and the names they're called. And then, of course, people of of color, people in the LGBTQ community, um, uh, people who don't fit into the nice, normal white evangelical categories, they feel oppressed. So, so everyone is 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 licking their wounds mm-hmm. um, in a scenario like this. And um, and he says, um, uh, many will perceive peacemaking as partisan because you have to listen and empathize with both sides. Um, people assume political motives where they do not exist. Um, a pastor's, uh, well, let, let me go. He says, and I love this. He says, uh, admittedly, I must overcome my own biases and prejudices to do the work of reconciliation. And I've committed myself to stepping out of my echo chamber to listen to those who I don't understand. And, and so, so I thought this was a really interesting point. So, so my response to my friend Ethan is to say, okay, peacemaking and peacekeeping are different. Peacemaking requires us to go listen to the voices of those people who are feeling oppressed, who are scared, who are threatened. It also requires us, if that if that statement is true, then there are other people who are feeling oppressed and threatened, mm-hmm. who are perceived by others as being the ones in power yeah. um, or the ones who have privilege. The problem is just, just shutting down the opinions and beliefs and values of white people by just brushing it under the table of white privilege does nothing to diminish the attitudes that made it possible for Trump to take power, right? That doesn't do anything. So, so the best, oh my goodness, this, this, oh, okay. This, how do you be a peacemaker then? Okay. So this is a totally non Jesus, like non Bible source saying something that Jesus said. And I just think it's brilliant. Um, in 2016, so this is a third article. Mm-hmm. I've just been doing, obviously, a lot of reading with everybody else. Oh, yeah. And it was on Vox.com, which is, you know, this media which company. Not us. Not us. <laughs> um, so check this out. So uh, in 2016, researchers stumbled on a radical tactic for reducing another person's bigotry. A frank, brief conversation shocking unbelievable so but listen to this the the study 
looked at how simple conversations can help combat anti-transgender attitudes. In the research, people canvassed the homes of more than 500 voters in South Florida. The canvassers, who could be trans or not, asked the voters to simply put themselves in the shoes of trans people to understand their problems through a 10-minute non-confrontational conversation. They found that, that that conversation had tangible change. Not only did those voters' anti-trans attitudes decline, but they remained lower three months later, showing an enduring result. And the voter support for laws that protected trans people from discrimination increased. Now, shocking, shocking, living in an echo chamber of your own opinion is really damaging and allows you to easily demonize the other side. But talking, having a face-to-face conversation with somebody uh, who you would have labeled, who now has a name and a face, radically changes your view about the whole group. Yeah. Shocking, right? What idiots. We are idiots. Uh, <laughs> this is so crazy. One telling study conducted by researchers at UC Santa Barbara shortly before the election found that if people who strongly identified as white were told that non-white groups were outnumber white people in 2042, they became much more likely to support Donald Trump. So there's a threat um, that that uh, white people are feeling as they see the country change around them. Um, but noting, and here's and this is where it gets so good. But noting the racial attitudes, both of Trump and of some of his followers, did not have an impact on the election. Huh. Um, despite bigoted policy proposals that at one point even called for banning an entire religious group from the U.S. Yeah. Um, and media's constant reminders that Trump is racist, he still won. Clearly, a lot of U.S. voters either shared Trump's prejudiced views or at the very least didn't find the ideas to be fundamental deal breakers. <clears throat> How do we reduce that type of prejudice is the question. Yeah. Now, there's a, there's a quote... Uh, in the middle of this article that I thought was genius. And it's what it's what grabbed me. Um, telling people they're racist, sexist, and xenophobic is going to get you exactly nowhere. And so what you have, what you have on both sides, both sides feel oppressed and both sides label the other. And so you have this phenomenon of the secret Trump supporter who wouldn't say they were a Trump supporter for fear of being called sexist, xenophobic, homophobic, and racist. Um... But when it came to the election, they obviously voted and voted loudly and spoke loudly with their vote. Uh, but what I thought was so fascinating is, is that on both sides of the issue, there's bigotry. On both sides of the issue, there's hate. On both sides of the issue. And, and here's this, and, and again, I, I, for the sake of our pacing of the podcast, the fact that Andy's yawning right now, I won't read more <laughs> of this. But, but it's, it is... Um, it is absolutely fundamental. The article literally goes on to say um, to have a, a conversation where you don't judge another pe person's bigotry in the moment, but you just have a conversation presenting another point of view. Those non-judgmental, non-confrontational conversations are literally the best ways to go about. Yeah. So, so if you are a Hillary supporter and you're horrified at the, the racist, xenophobic, um, you know, hateful Trump and his Trump supporters, odds are you're going to be sharing a Thanksgiving table 
with one of those people, well, why don't you just ask them mm-hmm. what, what it was? And if they say, well, America's great. Well, what was it about America? What if, what if you just spent an entire conversation listening to a Trump supporter about what they really think and why they think it? Or if you're a Trump supporter and you're just sick of these whiny millennials and you're sick of the political correctness that's infected our culture and the Miley Cyruses that have confused all of this, why don't you spend some time over at the Thanksgiving table asking a millennial or asking a liberal uh, about why they're so worried about Trump and what they're fearful of. Just and just listen. No commentary, no judgment, no correction. Just listen to them and see on both sides if you can't find something that you can relate to. Mm-hmm. See if you can't find something where you walk out of there going, okay, I guess they're all they're not all homophobic or they're not all whiny or they're not all liberal or they're not all conservative or they're not all hateful or they're not all whatever. See, the biblical word for this is incarnation where God became a human being and looked us in the eye, looked and entered the world of our dirt and our grime and our sickness and our disease and our hunger and our desperation and our betrayal and our disappointment. He entered that world. Peacemakers enter the worlds of other people, regardless of whether or not they agree with the assumptions or values or practices of that world. Your agreement with them is irrelevant to the task of peacemaking. They, the, the people that make peace, are the people who, who are able to convince a group that they genuinely hear, understand, and appreciate their perspective. Hmm. And open up the group to the possibility that there's another perspective that's equally as real and open, right? Mm-hmm. So, so to be a peacemaker, to stand with those who don't have a voice right now, means that we listen. So I follow, I follow, my Twitter follows are so scattered. Um, I'm a conservative by, you know, my politics would be mostly on the conservative side, but my Twitter feed is almost all liberal. Hmm. And it's almost all progressive Christians. And it's, I mean, it's like, and I find a lot of the stuff really challenging to the way that I think and to, um, and I disagree with a lot of it and a lot of it's really helpful. And, and I follow um, Black Lives Matter um, uh, leaders and voices and um, voices from the black community, voices from the LGBTQ community who are, who are um, constantly um, reminding me of, of what their perspectives are. I mean, so that's just a small way Mm -hmm. to engage with, oh my goodness. Um, I would never have known all of these hate crimes are happening had I not been following, um, some of these, some of these folks on Twitter, you Mm -hmm. know, to see pictures of swastikas and, and videos of, of junior hires yelling, build that wall at Latino students. And I mean, you're just like, my goodness, you know, and if and if Trump is our freaking candidate, then evangelicals better be so better be leading the charge on denouncing that stuff, right? And standing with those who feel marginalized and threatened right now, right? Because if we don't, we've just hindered people coming to Jesus, right. the Jesus we we say we're supposedly following, and and is the most important thing in our lives. Right. What terrifies me is that what version of uh, of evangelical morality is does he does trump uphold in which we validate that then we live out you see like i don't for us that doesn't exist right but it's like for that 81 percent, the expectation is now well now we're going to trust him mm-hmm. to then keep pave the word. way right and keep his word but he's already but, but he's already disappointed some because he's talked about for sure but and that but and that that's what's like my my issue with is that they won't my thing is they won't do what you just said 
they won't rise up to be like, well, hey, now that we're victorious and we have, you know, our guy in the White House, right. now I will operate better as a as an evangelical Christian. Right. Hell no. Right. That's not how it's going to happen. Right. And so, and I, the thing I've like wrestled with is like, even if he was dethroned, this thing now has been given permission in ways we just simply have not seen. And I'm like, I don't. It's like it awakened a sleeping giant that we just you know yeah. of our culture and i'm like i don't see how i don't see how this goes away okay. you know but, but, and, but that's the point of the article it won't yeah until right. people enter into it yes right and say and, and it's not just white people entering into the worlds of other white people no no it's you know imagine the power if you take a white supremacist supremacist and sit him down with the, the head of black lives matter right or you take the you know you know the most um religiously and morally conservative person and put them next to uh, somebody who's advocating for LGBTQ rights. Mm-hmm. Um, that so, so what needs to happen on the ground level is that is, is a couple of things. Number one, that Jesus people are operating out of fullness and they're not operating out of scarcity. Mm. In other words, my, my, my well-being um, on planet earth does not hinge upon who's in the white house or who's on the Supreme Court. Now, everyone will agree with that, but look at the amount of energy, time, money, angst, anger, hate that has been spewed around this right. um, by Christians as well. So we don't operate as if our citizenship is elsewhere. Right. Um, we operate as if, no, our job is to create the kingdom here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so, so to, to have Jesus people full of Jesus who joyfully and gently non-cooperate with all parts of our culture that are unjust and oppressive, whether that's whether that's the the mitigation of white voices in the name of white privilege, whether that's the clear mitigation of minority voices or marginalized voices, we, we simply go into those worlds out of fullness and we listen and we empathize and we realize, yeah. man, this is a legitimate perspective. And then for for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that's where that's where the table comes in, right? The work of peacemaking is taking the bread and the cup, the allegiance to Jesus with people with whom I fundamentally disagree, right? So it was beautiful to know there were Trump supporters there who were like really glad um, that Trump had won and that God had. I mean, literally, I had a guy say God has delivered us from Hillary, um, and to to hold um, a sweet young lady who was just sobbing. And who just said, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know where this leads us. Yeah. Um, and to have them both take the bread and the cup together. That's the only way. And it is supposed to be the unique contribution of the church to the world. When Paul says the work of Jesus is the formation of a new humanity, where Jew and Gentile, the biggest racial, ethical, um, ethnic division in the first century, if that can be overcome by this Jesus, then so can everything else. And so my encouragement to mm-hmm. me and to Jesus people is to view the Thanksgiving table as a way to practice to listening to those with whom you disagree. Um, as a way to to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. Um, to view social media as not an echo chamber where I'm only getting the views that reinforce my views, but to genuinely engage with the views of people that you disagree with, to listen to their perspective, and to be a, a um, one one writer calls it a um, non-disruptive presence, that that I'm I'm full in in this Jesus, and I don't need to be right, and I don't need to be seen to be right. I can sit and I can listen and not correct, um, and knowing that my listening and engaging 
um, is transformative. Um, just and, and that's what that third article was about. Yeah. So, so for me, it just reinforces the whole approach we're taking, right? The table matters. Yeah, what you do at the absolutely. table, the conversation you have around the table matters. So uh, we want to be people of the table. And so peacemaking requires us to be people of the table. So Thanksgiving, you know, is just notorious for awful and awkward conversations with, you know, family members. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, could it be that we come in and we're just, we've de we're determined we're not going to correct anybody. We're just going to listen. And we're going to try to understand. Because as you say, Andy, this stuff isn't going to go away. Yeah. It has to be resolved if it's going to be, if we're ever going to function well. It has to be resolved. It can't be blanketed anymore. It can't be protested away. It can't be whitewashed, literally. It can't, it, you, both sides have to be listened to. And evidently, so does the lawnmower uh, <laughs> that's outside our window. So That's our cue. That's our cue. <laughs> so Andy, how long did that go? Fifty-six minutes. Oh, good lord! I good. I was worried we we didn't have enough to get through. Really? Yeah. All right. So <laughs> that's unbelievable. <laughs> yes. Uh, so brothers and sisters, um, uh, wow, uh, we're the Erie family. Uh, I can't speak for Andy. Um, I know he prays every once in a while, but I've been praying a lot about about this stuff, and it's so heavy. Because I have I have friends everywhere and uh, listening to voices from from every side and I just grieve. The biggest thing I just I grieve, but with Paul I grieve not as one who has no hope. I have I have felt uh, maybe more convinced ever of the beauty and the power of Jesus in our world by seeing ab about how just broken and and um, and reckless it is. And uh, I so yearn to be part of a tribe of people who take Jesus seriously and the vocation of peacemaking seriously to the point. Because now, more than ever, this work will be seen for what it is. Uh, it, is, it, is this, it is the it is this small echo of what Jesus did in his coming, in his dying, in his rising. Um, and, uh, and so for us... Um, who take Jesus seriously, this is the invitation. And, and it's not tomorrow and it's not the next day. It's today, just today. We're just going to walk in a way where as, as people who are full, we're not, we're not trying to get life from our environment. We're walking in, into places and we're here to listen, to bless, to point out where God is at work. Um, and to, uh, we're not going to correct. We're going to sit and around the table transformation happens. Mm -hmm. Um, that was taught in the scriptures and it's validated, uh, by this ridiculous research, right? That says, yeah. Oh, shocking. So anyway, so brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and may he be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. May he give you peace, but not only that, may he make you peace, um, make you a part of bringing peace uh, to the world. And, um, and we're in desperate need of it. So uh, until next time, brothers and sisters, thanks as always. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And as always, comment, share, and interact with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxpodcast.